0: Hey there, listeners. Kat here to let you know that right now, Feminist Frequency is in the midst of our spring campaign raising funds to support the Games and Online Harassment Hotline. What have you heard about the Hotline? Did you know it's the best tool that we've got for supporting people who play games or work in the games industry and who have experienced abuse, toxicity, or harassment? Through the Hotline, we also offer programs like RESPEC, our accountability support group for people who have caused harm, and the Help Desk, our free consultation service for people in the games industry who want to bring a survivor-centered shift to their organization and create behavior change, repair, and healing. Help us keep offering these essential services for our community and work to transform game culture. Visit the Donate page on our website to support the Games and Online Harassment Hotline today. And if you follow us on social media at Femfreak, please share about the campaign and about the Games and Online Harassment Hotline, You could be amplifying this message right into the feed of somebody who really needs to see it. Thanks. This type of macho is going to, like, use this type of machismo against another group.
1: Like a Pokemon.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Softboy, I choose you. Um... Welcome to Feminist Frequency Radio Presents Machos Fully Loaded. This is the podcast that asks you to be critical of the media you love. And this past season, we investigated masculinity. In movies and TV, I'm Kat Spada.
1: Bet you thought you saw The Last of Me. But I'm back. (laughs) I'm A.C. Lamberty. Also joining us today, Anita Sarkeesian is back for a bonus episode to weigh in on our macho season. 100% pure adrenaline, weapons, dominance, dominance. don't hurt. the only place you're going to go is the hospital.
0: I will be right back.
1: And in particular, I'm excited to sidebar about Patrick Swayze. Like, let's go. Should we just start there? <laughs>
2: uh, yes. Also, I'm like so excited to be a guest on my podcast. <laughs> I'm like, this is fucking awesome.
0: What's up? I'm a guest. Hey. You are in the place of honor. Um, I know, sidebar about Swayze, this is like, Swayze is the, he's, he's Centerpiece. The, the arms that hold this whole thing together. Oh, Which I sure. will say, sure. given that you spoke so little about Swayze
2: in the grand scheme of him being the patron saint of this <laughs> podcast, I will just say that. Uh, but, you know, I, I listened to your trailer and I was like, you're going to talk about Patrick Swayze without me? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, you're saving it for today.
1: For sure. Yeah. I mean, if, sure. you know, whatever.
2: You you did a great job of it. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. I, like, I love the series. I think it was fucking great. I hope that the listeners really enjoyed it. I think that there's, like, uh, a perspective that you all brought that is, uh, I, like, obviously different than what I would have brought to the table. There's so many movies and stuff that you talked about that I had never even heard of or, like... Stuff that you included that I knew that I was like, oh, that's interesting that you're including it. And I think there's something really special about like the the different ways in which we approach media criticism, especially with like a feminist social mm. justice lens. And also it got me really thinking about masculinities. Right. So like the daddy's episode talking about um, this is us, which fuck that show. Uh, the whole time <laughs> <laughs> I was listening to it. I was like, Don't recommend this stupid show, <laughs> um, but just that like I would not have expected that to be in a series about machos, right, and I think that that has something to do with the like extent of masculinity and i i I think maybe, like yes, I want to talk about swayze but i I kind of want to talk about masculinity a little bit if we can start there, mm, yeah
0: Hopefully. so and. And what's what I wanted to also just to like say now that we're looking back at these past 10 episodes is how much even the themes, even the words we were using, like there was stuff mm-hmm. where, you know, obviously, like what AC and I considered to be like sexual about a character would be different. <laughs> or like when we looked at what is macho in this particular context, we might have come to it with totally different perspectives. So yeah. by no means um, across the board. Yeah. Yeah.
2: When which is just a great reminder different audiences react to different things and, and look at things differently and and how do we navigate, like, what is status quo versus what are different audiences and what's the status quo for those audiences, blah, 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 whatever, you know?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So what, what was your, like, overall thinking about, like, masculinity? Do you think of it as something where, like, you're a an audience member to it? Like, you have a perception of it? Or do you think of it as something that you, like, engage with because it's inside all of us? Like, do you think about it much when not being asked to think about it?
2: <laughs> Man, I think about masculinity all the fucking time, <laughs> all the time. I think it, that's a really interesting framing of it because like uh, gender identity and the impact of gender on our everyday co- lives, r- regardless of how we identify, has such a huge impact on us, right? And how we approach things, how we exist in the world, uh, you know all of that. And so- I like that sort of feminist theory and feminist thought has really evolved to include conversations around masculinity and to make those conversations more complex as well, because there isn't just masculine, feminine. We know this. This is not the binary. And even within those categories, there's so much more. So I kept I was thinking a lot about hegemonic masculinity while listening to this podcast, which is really old school academic theory. There's a lot of criticisms about the concept of hegemonic masculinity. There's probably been a ton of scholarship since then that has changed and evolved that. But I'm old and have not updated my academic fucking theory (laughs) understanding since academia. So this is what kind of came to mind. Um, And hegemonic masculinity is a concept developed by Raywin Connell, who went by R.W. Connell uh, back when she was publishing this work. and. Uh, it's kind of just a fancy way of saying men's dominance in society and how men maintain Mm -hmm. and sustain that dominance. We, we, I I don't think it's unfair to say we use the word toxic masculinity to describe it today, um, which is just a more like kind of pop culture way of talking about it. Um, Because there were so many criticisms, there was an expansion of what, that means and the different types of masculinities. And so there's things like complicit, marginalized, subordinate, right? The different tiers Mm. of the way that masculinity, um, the way that different types of masculinities are related to hegemonic masculinity. And I think that that's a Mm. really interesting way of looking at it. Instead of different orbits we have, and like, this is still true. We have this peak dominant type idealized masculinity. Again, this is like a little bit messy, but it's considered the sort of peak ideal masculinity that all men should aspire to or be in position with. Right. Mm-hmm. And then what what are all the other masculinities that are counter to that, that are adjacent to that, that are um, intersecting with it? Right? right. And that's when you bring in issues of race and issues of of um, sexuality and, and just like you know, you talk about soft boys and I I started thinking about like, well, what does it mean to be like kind of a visual representation of a really tough, strong, masculine man, but have all the tenderness and vulnerability Mm. with that? Mm. Like, where is the space for that? What does that look like? Right? Yeah. And so I I was just thinking about that, right? In, 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 In and around this whole conversation about what is masculinity like? Also, sorry, I'll just, sorry, I'm going on a tangent now, but like there's toxic masculinity, but I think that it's important that we don't demonize masculinity in the same way that Mm. I think it's important we don't demonize femininity, which is what happens because of hegemonic masculinity, right?
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Um, And thinking about it with more complexity and allowing more shape and evolution to notions of what masculinity brings and how it can be a positive thing in, <laughs> I say that <laughs> with a little bit of like, ugh, but like, I think that it's, it's just traits that we have access to as human beings, um, mm-hmm. regardless of our gender identity and what we do with them, how we use it, what they look like, who who is able to present in certain ways, I think is interesting and like really kind of special in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah. I really like what you say kind of about, aesthetics and those were some of my favorite conversations we had too about what a soft boy looks like even kind of the aesthetic conversations and lady machos or alpha machos or whatever really? um and it's it's so interesting like listening to you talk about like you know maybe somebody who looks like an alpha macho but is rejecting like the values of hegemonic masculinity that's so interesting to me like i i it's it's so crazy that none of us seem to enjoy traditional gender roles like even the straightest most cis dudes i know like nobody is ever an exact example of like traditional hegemonic cis het white you know gender values basically
2: it's like but yeah there's
1: like a joy to it in some ways too you know what i mean like that's in, in experiencing like my transition in some ways it's like of course i love aspects of hegemon, hegemon of masculinity that i'm like presenting physically mm-hmm. do i agree with these values no i don't <laughs> but yeah. like it, there's it's still seductive. like you said like where's the space for that yeah it's, yeah. Really interesting. it's extremely
2: seductive yeah. and i think that media is extremely dangerous in mm-hmm. the way that it allows us to be seduced by it and like I I say dangerous, but that's not the right word. I think that we do need to be careful about what our fantasies are and what we are attracted to and like why we're Mm. attracted to them and what social cues have taught us to be attracted to. But like, yeah, like I fucking watch Fast and the Furious too, you know, and John Wick (laughs) as well. And like, I can enjoy aspects of it, but I also sometimes feel a little bit gross about it, you know? And I think Mm. it's okay to live in this sort of awkward space around it with the knowledge and education. I was saying that... um, it's like clothes like nobody nobody wants to be put into a category in this way mm-hmm. that's an undefined unself imposed category right and like clothes sure. aren't made for any real body <laughs> like i'm right. so short and i'm always like nothing fits me but like i talk to anybody and they're like yeah the clothes don't fit me my torso's too tall or i'm yeah. too i'm too tall or i'm fat and clothes aren't made for me or whatever right and mm-hmm. i think it's the same thing of like we have these ideals and these impressions
0: that are not based in actual humans because we are more yeah. complex than that. This is such a bonkers connection, but in thinking about <laughs> like the different type of variations of masculinities and how they can like uh, work together or support each other, support like oppressive systems, and then also how they can be used against each other, like, well, this mm. type of macho is going to like use this type of machismo against another
1: group. Um, like a Pokemon
0: <laughs> soft boy I choose you Um, there is this guy on Twitter who he I don't know if he's a tailor or if he's like an uh, a fashion historian or what but he does these Twitter threads where he will talk about like how men's tailoring is done poorly
1: mm-hmm. and he
0: always uses examples of like conservative politicians like he'll show a picture of like Oh. Some guy who uses his platform to like bring down women and people of color and LGBT mm-hmm. people. And he'll never say like this guy fucking sucks because of his values. But he'll say, here's an example of why these pants are cut wrong. They are <laughs> oh, I love cut, that.
1: That's awesome. They're
0: cut for someone who uh, labors and might have a better musculature. But this particular <laughs> individual does not. And thus, like they fall incorrectly and they should have used like the That's bias cut or whatever. And it's so interesting because this guy has access to, like, a a class privilege in knowing, like, what all of this history is. He's using, like, it typically, I would say, like, "Mm, this is ableist, right? Like, you shouldn't say, like, someone looks bad because they, like, look, quote, unquote, weak, right? But he's just using, like, his particular masculine skill set to say like and this guy fucking sucks and you can tell yeah. because he's wearing the wrong cut of pant with this shoe and also look him up he's terrible um, it's
1: so crazy though yeah. because i feel like there's also an audience that would be like well what are you talking like okay gay <laughs> yeah. it, like you like like okay gay it doesn't matter like yeah the, like which is so it's so fascinating like yeah. it really is just all the masculinities.
0: i'll find here. one <laughs> of those threads to link in the show notes Nice. oh
1: interesting so
0: i want to talk about swayze before we like
1: wait till the oh, very yeah. end
2: of the episode because i'm like please, I, there's like so go. many tangents we can go on from here
1: but like i sent cat a voice note so just to kick things off i said her voice note last week where i was like knowing that there was a, a time when patrick swayze played billy flynn in chicago like i have not gotten a full <laughs> eight hours since like i want to see that no. like it's crazy I'm, anyway we'll find it go off <laughs>
2: So um, I'm not. I don't know all of Swayze's c- p- discography by any means. <laughs> I am obsessed with the my Swayze trifecta, which mm-hmm. is Dirty Dancing, Point Break, and Roadhouse. Holy uh, Trinity. Holy that's Trinity. it. That's oh, a, that's all I care about which with the Swayze. Is a witch? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Tag yourself. Yeah. Uh, Ghost uh, is a trash movie that is so bad. <laughs> it's so ugly. fucking terrible. Um, but here's the thing: is so. Uh, uh, my history around this is um, I grew up watching a lot of dance movies because my mom loved dance movies. And I watched Dirty Dancing when I was like five for the first time. Like it's just always been around. Oh, as so an adult, good. I watch it like five times a year. I'm fucking obsessed with Dirty Dancing. Um, before it was cool to be obsessed with Dirty Dancing. Like I used to not <laughs> want to tell people. And then I watched it like as a as an aware adult um, and was like, this is actually like, kind of progressive like there's a lot of progressive shit in this and so i started to like really own it and be like no you need to go back and watch this fucking movie because it's actually great and there's all of these like social justice dance movies (laughs) that are like about class or race and they're like kind of superficial or whatever but i think there's something interesting about dance movies being a vehicle for these kinds of stories so you know swayze was clearly a formative part of my sexual identity growing up. I mean, <laughs> his arms—like his
0: arms—just. Arm,
1: arms
2: <laughs> I don't know what else to say, but I
1: alternative thesis to my The Outsiders. Yeah, uh, <laughs> in episode one,
2: I think, like, I don't because these movies are such comfort movies for me. Um, I don't want to do what I'm about to do, uh, but I will because you. <laughs> be critical of the media you love, right? Right. Um, He doesn't play, like, good people, (laughs) you know? Like, he's Mm. kind of a dick. And if you, like, read about the history of making Dirty Dancing, like, him and Jennifer Grey did not get along. There are scenes in that movie that are supposed to be, like, you know, like... Like the scene where they're doing the little dance number in the yes. montage, and he's yeah. like tickling her and he's getting mad and she's like can't keep a straight face. Like that was real. That wasn't Whoa. the movie, right? And they just kept it in because it worked. Uh yeah. so like he was he's he's a fucking macho, you know? I think the allure of Swayze is also part of the problem uh mm. in that I'm trying to talk about here, where it's like there is this fantasy that I think um girls are raised with in terms of uh the heteronormative r- relationship and i think he is the perfect like it, like epitome of this fantasy which is mm-hmm. the guy that will hold you and make you feel safe because he's a little bit bigger than you and he's tough and he's like a little bit mean but not to you he's vulnerable with you because men can be vulnerable sl- a little bit because we yeah. have such low standards for male vulnerability in the private confines of a hetero relationship. And that, I think, Swayze epitomizes to a T, right? You can fall into this fantasy of I'm the pick-me girl, I'm special, this guy who is not nice to other people is nice to me, and he, like, you know, is really sad about all of these rich women taking advantage of his body, (laughs) (laughs) you know? (laughs) So this, like, tough-yet-vulnerable space that he lives in, I think is, is really like kind of a problem, but also extremely fucking hot. Like, I don't know what to say yeah. about it. And like, we are so, uh, I think that we are taught and, and for, for good reason though, is to be attracted to some of that vulnerability. And I think Patrick Swayze as an mm-hmm. actor has that he really has that like him, Bodie, and point break is so such a fucking incredible character that I don't think a lot of actors could possibly have pulled no. off no. the like the oh. the nuance of this person and like the ups and downs and the like the the complexity of you know and
0: like he's magnetic on film
1: oh that's true
0: I think that the the class part is also really entwined with this, and so, like mm. we talked a little bit about it here and there, but it's entwined like just you know we we struggled, I think, in this season with having, like, a really robust um, attention to non-white characters because a lot yeah. of what we were talking about was, like, mainstream Hollywood cinema and, like, what is presented to us as, as the most desirable. And mm-hmm. with class, like, I almost wonder, like, is there a white-collar macho? Because a lot of, I think, what we have tied into, like, the danger of these men is linked to that is the like last week I'm totally. eating jujubes to get by this week. They're putting diamonds in my pocket. Um, or the facts that like, even in roadhouse, like he's just, he's a working class guy. And then she's a doctor, right? Like the, mm-hmm. the love interest. There's that sense of dabbling in this blue collar masculinity.
2: Yeah. And it's the reverse of pretty woman. It's the like yeah. gender
0: reverse of pretty woman in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I think that says a lot to also, like, what, you know, it's creepy to say that, like, if you're working class or blue-collar that you're dangerous. That's really gross and mm-hmm. and harmful and dangerous and, like, has ruined a lot of lives, right? But it is definitely something that, like, I agree. I was raised with the same kind of, like, sexual discovery of, like, this is this is sexy, this, like, character yeah. that, you know why we did all of this is we were having conversations of like, even when we are intellectually opposed to the masculinities or the like gender presentations that we're being shown, we're aroused by them or we're drawn to them or mm-hmm. we're just at the very least fascinated by them. Like even when yeah. it's, you know, when we, when I was talking about Tom of Finland, I was like, this isn't for me. This is not, I am not the intended audience for this, but I also, I am like the, you know clockwork orange <laughs> i can't close <laughs> i can't close my eyes i can't i just want to i want to like take in as much of this um machismo because it feels in some ways so different different to my personal lived experience
1: mm-hmm.
0: um we talked a bit about uh and this was a really interesting thing for me a c your perspective on like representation politics, especially mm. in terms of. Uh, queer portrayals and, you know, when do we accept it and when don't we accept mm. it? Um, but we touched on, like, straights playing queers. And, Anita, I know yeah. you had some thoughts on that as well. Yeah, yeah
2: I was thinking about it because um, in the episode, you both were like, bah, fuck, I don't, fuck this conversation about whether straights can play queers, <laughs> right? And I was like, well...
1: It sounds right. You
2: know, I don't know if You're I'm looking. that dismissive of this. Um, I, in... In uh, I did a series called That Time When, and in uh, we talked about Ellen and how how important her coming out was in the mm-hmm. history of media representation. Um, and there's a whole section of that episode that got cut, uh, that didn't make it because it was just whatever. And and in that I talked about like this issue a little bit of how like I think it's still important. Um, so let me go back a little bit. You talk about Brokeback Mountain a lot. Mm-hmm. groundbreaking film, uh, frustratingly groundbreaking. It's straight people taking a trip down queer lane, you know? Right. And like, regardless mm-hmm. of whether the film is great or not, like that's still what's happening. And so you, you, you get these, these, and, and cat. I, I also like everyone's fucking gay, right? Everyone's a little bit gay. I'm just like, I fully agree with that. So I'm going to just put that aside for the point of this, of like sort of dominant culture conversation. But yeah, like, these people um in the films that were made in the 90s and 2000s before we got more mainstream queer representation um they're celebrated for their bravery of playing a queer person and showing yeah. queer stories and it makes me want to vomit like fuck you you know like that you 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 took a risk in your career to be to pretend to be gay like it's it's incredibly patronizing and gross to me. Um, and you know, it's, I think that this is changing. I think more queer folks are able to tell their own stories. I think we are getting better representation and more nuanced representation of queer folks. Um, but like, it's not, you know, you look at Dallas buyers club and Jared Leto playing a trans woman and like, it's not just that Jared Leto assists white dude played a trans woman, it's that he was a fucking piece of shit about it on top right. of mm-hmm. the fact that he shouldn't have played it. Like when he won the Oscar for it, he talked about not the the like challenges of being trans and how we should be more supportive of trans folks as um, cis people, but that he had to wax his whole body and how yeah. hard was that for him? So yeah. mm-hmm. I I I did want to just drop that in here of being like, There's still a lot of this shit that's, like, orbiting Hollywood and media cinema in general. And while I want us to absolutely recognize the growth and change in the media landscape, like, it's not, we're still, we're still teetering on the people who get to make the decisions about what are the Mm -hmm. acceptable queer stories and who are the acceptable queers to be able to tell them um, is still Mm -hmm. aggressively kept, you know?
1: Yeah. I, for some reason, I don't know if I'm able to like articulate this in a way that's uh, like coherent, but for some reason I feel different about trans actors playing trans characters than I do about cis queer people playing cis queer roles. I don't know if they're or
0: like cis this, like, think- cis straight people playing cis oh, yeah, queer yes. roles.
1: Yeah. yeah Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if there's like, I don't know. People have thought about this before, but there's just something different to me about that that I'm not sure if I can speak. To. I mean, I don't know. But I also feel really more precious about like the identities of writers and directors these days. Like bros in particular, having a straight director was a very upsetting viewing experience for me. Like that was a tough movie for me to watch because it was clearly so like for an audience that it shouldn't have been for. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, so I don't know. I, I feel a lot more precious about, yeah, the identities of like directors and writers helming like weird trans stories.
2: When I started doing this work, the mainstream conversation was about representation, like who is on mm-hmm. camera and how are they represented on camera? Um, I think uh, that conversation has rightfully and appropriately evolved. And I say this And that these conversations were always happening, just some become more mainstream than others at different times. Mm -hmm. That conversation has evolved to be who is making the media, Mm -hmm. who is behind the scenes in the media. And I think that that is part of this, right? Is part of the like, cool, we get, we push forward and we push progress forward a little bit, and then we demand more because it's not done Mm -hmm. yet, you know? Um, And I think that that's valuable. And and I think part of the trans stuff is... um, This is not like uh, an answer or even a hypothesis around that point. But I think that there's something about the fact that like trans visibility is so much higher right now Mm. than it was in the Mm. past, Um, whereas I would argue that just having uh, like gay men represented on camera was as big of a deal in the 90s as as trans representation is now. So it, so it, but it's hard, it's so hard to understand that if you didn't live through it. Right. Right. And yeah. Right. And so when we go back and look at like movies from the 50s and 60s, you're like, I can intellectually understand that society was different, but like I lived through this and I saw this transformation happen. And so it it like, it hits a little different, I think. I was like, when I was a young queer, like we, you know, you had, we had the internet, but it wasn't like social media internet and like, you had like the lesbian bookstore in the town a few like few towns over and that was kind of the only thing and maybe one queer bar but you know yeah. i was underage so they were hard to sneak into so like it just <laughs> the the access is very different and the representation and the the seeing more identities represented to people who didn't have access to that i think is huge and different um and so we're demanding more
0: right We're demanding more from our filmmakers. One thing I observe when we talk about uh, who, like, straight actors playing queer roles is that I do think it's very different based on men and women. Mm. And, like, I wonder if that's partially because, like, in our current society, we, we accept that, like, or we seem to accept a thing that may or may not be true, which is, like, women having more fluidity of, like, sexuality and men being, like, Like, there, I think there is a concept of like, there's no such thing as a 100% heterosexual woman. (laughs) Whereas, like, we definitely accept there are 100% heterosexual men. And Mm -hmm. I wonder if that's part of the reason why, like, I do think that the queer community, like, welcomes our Rachel Vices and our Kate Blanchett's and, like, these women Mm. who regularly play queer roles, but as far as we know, don't have any personal queer identity. But with men, I think it, it seems like a lot more stark. Because Mm -hmm. if you take this big risk and play a gay character, then it's like, well, we're always going to wonder. We're always going to wonder about Jake Gyllenhaal. Like, surely he's, you know, bisexual, as if that even exists. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, JK, obviously. Um, (laughs) But, like, I do think that that's something that's very gendered because um, I don't know if it's just because, like, men need to be marketable in a certain way that's different from how women need to be. Like, um, I think Kristen Stewart is a really interesting example Mm. of, like, an openly queer woman who can play different roles, but, like, um, I don't know. Like, I I think of the Rachel Vice Kate Blanchett thing as, like, she's, like, a pet of the queer community. (laughs) Like, (laughs) oh, and, like, and we have her, like, kind of. Like, she's Carol, so, you know, end of right. discussion. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, and why is that
2: okay or better? I think this
0: transitions
2: really nicely into lady machos and also comes back to hegemonic masculinity, right? So if our yeah. dominant, mm-hmm. if if the dominant uh, way of being is this sort of hyper-masculine, uh, stoic, emotionless, uh, violent or willing to use violence um, is what we think of as heroes right what we think of as machos in a lot of ways that the lady macho is women are allowed to assume the role of masculine um but men are not allowed to assume the role of feminine because feminine is at the mm. bottom of the fucking pyramid right women are right. women are the insult if you are right. not being mm-hmm. man enough quote unquote right right and so Lady Macho's I think is really interesting and I thought your your ways that you approached that was so different than how I would have talked about it which I was fascinated by and really appreciated. Um so in in grad school I wrote a thesis on uh strong quote unquote strong female characters um and patriarchy and how that plays out and it's interesting to me that was God, I don't know, 15, fucking more than 20 years ago, something. Um, We don't use the word strong female characters anymore. And I think that that's great because it means Mm -hmm. that we have moved on from this fucking trope (laughs) that is, or this archetype in some ways. Um, But when I think of Lady Machos, I think of that, right? And I think of the work that I did around that, which literally I charted out all of the traits that we identify as masculine traits versus feminine traits and all of the characters that most of us fucking loved and found empowering and exciting and interesting that were female, strong female characters all had these hyper-masculine traits and they did not mm-hmm. have any of the traits that we associate with femininity, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Independent, stoic, um, violent, uh, you and and they also have to be hot, right? So the aesthetics are really right, important yeah. here. That's like a huge part of it. But but for the most part, I do think it's interesting to t- to take a step back and look at like what are the traits and who's allowed to have them and who gets celebrated for having what. So having a compassionate man is not acceptable in in you know the fucking rules of whatever, right? Um, which is mm-hmm. why a Swayze who has a bit of vulnerability but not too much to make him too girly is acceptable and still appealing, right? Right um, for sure. So I think that there's something interesting about that. I do think that the like the the idea of the strong female character and who we think of as lady machos has evolved in ways that I am pleased with. I think that a, a lot of characters have evolved though. I don't think it was specifically about that. I think that we have de- we are kind of expecting more from our media in terms of like the depth of characters. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's really superficial, like Disney's obsession with fucking trauma and grief to make all their shit seem deep, but not like really dealing with it. But like that kind of stuff, right? Totally. Um, but here I do have to shout out Emily Blunt. I was so pleased you talked about Edge of Tomorrow. Emily Blunt, I think, uh, is one of the best quote-unquote, strong female character actors because she has a level of vulnerability that she brings to those roles when she's playing those roles that I think is unparalleled in a lot Mm. of female actors in those roles. Like, she is still kind of tough and does her shit, but she's not, like, lost in the sort of heroic, like, the stereotypical heroicism of it. Um, I just, I'm fucking... she, She delights me every time. Even if, like, in something like Sicario where she mm. plays this type of role, I think they treat her like shit as a character and they really mm-hmm. fuck her over. I still, even in that, I still am like, she brought so much to the table and so much depth to the table
0: in that regard that made her feel believable and full, you know? I think that the definition of strong is something that has really grown in the last 20 years since since your thesis. like, um, And that, I think, was... Honestly, like, one of my early um, awakenings to, like, a certain type of understanding of feminism, actually, like, uh, which was, I really thought, oh, well, you know, strong, physically strong, like, big men, physically strong. And there are some women who are that also. And how, like, having to kind of reckon with what that meant to me in that, in my, like, late teens, probably, uh, and that was a long process is something that made as characters just got richer just made an understanding of that even better like that there are characters who are emotionally strong there are characters who like you can be strong and that doesn't mean that you're resilient all the time and you never cry <laughs> or whatever like that strength is something we've always ascribed to uh men because they are that be- the best they are better and I think that that's something that, like, it just shows up in so many areas of our society. Like, yeah, of course, women can wear pants. But, like, if a man wears a skirt, that's a big deal. Um, mm-hmm. The, you know, now women can join the workforce. But men don't have to lower themselves to, like, take care of the, you know, kin keeping and household responsibilities because that's women's mm-hmm. work. Um, so I'm hopeful that, uh, you know, I think that's that's why. Sorry, not hopeful. I'm not hopeful about anything. Um, I think it's important (laughs) to say, like, why we're talking about masculinity and why we're not talking about it because it sucks. We're talking about it because, like, the patriarchy is harmful to everyone and that by uplifting, like, we can uplift femininity and we can also talk about masculinity, like, in a way that is uh, complete to some extent.
2: I think also, for me, the goal is... To recognize that all humans, regardless of any identity uh, or <coughs> let's just stick with gender, but um, have all like a the full range of traits that all humans have available to them. Right. Mm-hmm. With some caveats. Uh, but yeah. So the goal for me is to disattach that from gender. Right. That like anyone mm-hmm. of any gender can be an aggressive piece of shit and anyone of any gender can be vulnerable and compassionate and caring and that as a society we redesignate what we value right that some traits we will value more than other traits and that our media can then reflect those traits to help promote those values right uh that's why i've that's why i care so much about media is i think the media is one of the big pillars that teaches us what to value, right? So if we mm-hmm. all of a sudden have a media that overwhelmingly supports, uh, or, or at the end of the day says compassion and empathy and care is paramount and that's what we should strive for, that would transform the way that we engage as a society. And that's not to say that characters need to be fucking perfect. That's just to say that like the struggle of it is like in the daddy's episode, you talk about um, the the difference between Mrs. Doubtfire and School of Rock and how one of them mm-hmm. is like a personal transformation and growth outside of the, the box that uh, he thought he was in versus a I just got what I wanted at the end of the day. I didn't change. I didn't grow. I didn't develop. I just got the thing. And I think that that's a big difference in care in when we talk about character development and talking about the values that we want to promote,
0: you know? Yeah. Okay. So feel free. We can jump back if you have a hard no to this. But like, is this the moment where we talk about Ted Lasso? Which. Yeah.
1: (laughs) wait I don't do you have a history with Ted Lasso I I have feelings and thoughts but I'm excited to hear
2: yeah okay I did put it in here I did make it in my notes so uh my very brief history is I was so fucking obsessed with season one of Ted Lasso that I watched it six times I threw a fucking Season two watch party that was lovely. Cat came to it, It was amazing. <laughs> oh, we'll um, see. I did a TED talk about Ted Lasso's masculinity.
1: Whoa! I
2: was like, this show is groundbreaking, cracked the code, mm-hmm. and then it lost it. Yeah. It lost it so hard,
1: hard, so
2: yeah. hard that I couldn't like. I was so devastated that I couldn't talk about it. People would bring it up around me, and I was like, I, I just like. I don't know what happened. I became so emotional that I couldn't even like address yeah. it. That's why Kat's kind of like, I don't know, can we? So whatever, we don't, this is not going to be the Ted Lasso podcast. I'm not, whatever, season three, whatever.
1: Um, also, that is my take as well. Yeah. Like season one, great, so fun. I don't, I didn't think a lot about the masculinity aspect of it. So I'd love to hear that, but totally agree. I'll, it, I'll like, send you, I'll oh, send you my TED talk. <laughs> such a crazy way. Please. Yeah, I love
2: that. Um, I think uh, I was thinking about Ted when you were talking about daddy machos. And because Mm. and when you talk about masculinity, it's so hard not to think of Ted Lasso because it is entirely about or at least the first season is entirely about all these different types of masculinity and the growth and evolution of those. Right. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so when we talk about bodies versus personalities, like Ted is this mm-hmm. like fucking southern dude with a mustache that's like into sports or whatever. And yeah. is just like really kind and compassionate and caring. And he's not only a dad, he's a dad to the whole fucking team. Right. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and the growth and evolution of that. And you look at someone like Jamie, who's just such a fucking playboy and piece of shit and not willing to like listen to anyone or hear anyone outside of his own orbit and Roy being like, I was like you now fucking listen to me and going the complete opposite of Ted in that way and not getting anywhere. Right. But eventually. Right. And so I I think that there's some really interesting vulnerability, uh, growth and exploration of different types of masculinity in the show. And, and that's changed over time. Whatever. We don't have to get go
0: through all of that, but um, I'm afraid I, I am going to have to weigh in on season three, but a hold, a hold for a moment. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm done. I
1: haven't watched a single frame.
0: The reason I brought it up is what you just said about like characters don't have to be perfect, but we can value like compassion and care and several things like across the board from from athletes to mothers to dorks or whatever. Um, and I think that that's what is so devastating about how bad the show's writing has gotten is that this show tried, I, what we all of us were impressed by in season one is that it presented a um, a, a utopian version of these types of men, like men who can grow mm. and men who can talk and men who want to grow and who want to talk. And uh, what they've done, they've done two things in this third season that I think have just been so cheap which is like striving to make all of these decisions perfect and yeah. i think that that is just so um so lazy and there's oh there's this redemption art for nate who cares but like this main thing is um there's an episode in season three where one of the players uh, is outed as being gay and one of his teammates is like really surly about it for two-thirds of the episode and you don't really know how he's going to react or how he's what he's finally going to say when he confronts his gay teammate. Um, and I thought this will be so I will be so impressed if this character is homophobic. I will be so impressed mm. if they show that this character, like a lot of people, is homophobic, and that that's
1: in sports in too. Sports. Like, there's so, specifically in sports they're like missing opportunities to yeah. like tackle that world and oh my god okay so continue they set
0: up like of course this the gay character is afraid because he know because of homophobia but why this one guy is really you know really upset about it and i thought this is going to be a really interesting brave choice for this show to have a character say i just i just can't fucking get get my mind around it bro like i'm gonna have to really figure out how i feel about you from here on out i was like this is gonna be interesting Instead, it did, I was like 20 minutes before he said the line, the line came through my head is like, he's going to fucking say, why couldn't you trust me? Why did you have to keep it a secret from me? And that's exactly what the tension was. And I was like, that's not, I appreciate that. Give us something to to aspire to. Give us a, a character like Ted and characters like Roy in season one that we can aspire to see these types of men in our world. But to completely neuter reality in that way, I think is so... It just doesn't earn any of the like fuzzy feeling that you're supposed to have. It's like, oh, cool, great. So in uh, football clubs around the world, there's no such thing as homophobia. Glad to hear it. Like,
1: neutered is a really good word. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Anyway,
0: yeah. I can't.
2: I just can't. I'm like, I'm like, I have so many thoughts. I just can't. Oh, Fucking the show. Whatever. <laughs> send, uh, send it off. Send it it's off. It's so on hard. It's so hard. Yeah. Um. I think the dad funeral for a friend. I think there's something interesting about dads here when you think about, like, what happens to actors when they get older, mm-hmm. right? And, like, women become moms and old dudes become dads or they become fucking superheroes who have to save their daughters, mm-hmm. you know? Like, yeah. whatever. So I was yeah. thinking, I kept thinking about Arnold Schwarzenegger in Kindergarten Cop um, <laughs> mm. and how, like, what... so. Film, one of the ways that film tells stories is to use contrast, right? Whether it is like in set design, color, character, story. And so the humor and the comedy of it is that you have the big tough guy trying to be parental. And, mm-hmm. and like, there's something kind of gross about that. You know, like that mm-hmm. that's funny, that it's funny that someone that looks like that could be soft and tender. And he's not.
1: Right. You know, like
2: that's not what they're doing here, but like the that the contrast of bodies and personality um as a as a narrative play I think is uh could be done very well, but it's not what's happening here and but then you look at someone like um Sylvester Sloan in Creed, right he goes from being mm. fucking rocky, talk about alpha macho to right. a dad, well, he's actually a dad, uh but like he's an uncle, but he like this fatherly figure and the tension around that and like I think that that is done a little bit better (laughs) than in some other ways. But it's still this like Mm -hmm. what, you know, like what, like how, how do you be
0: when you are an old macho? What does that look like for you? You know? Well, if I, if I may contradict you there, I'm going to go ahead and say Rocky's a beta macho. (laughs) Because imagine my surprise when I finally watch that movie and he loses at the end. And like, He's got the <laughs> little goldfish and he, you know, goes ice skating with Adrian like he's not necessarily Arnold and kindergarten cop and which is interesting. So then there's another thing about the
2: actors who play these roles and then mm-hmm. who they are in real life. So I OK, two examples right now that come to mind is uh, I don't know this whole history, but he like. He's a fucking writer and he like helmed Rocky and like made that happen and like has worked on other scripts and like is, you know, like you think of him as this dumb meathead, but he's like he's a filmmaker. And I was thinking about this because I just watched the first episode of the Brooke Shields documentary, Pretty Baby. And at the end of the first episode, they talk about how she goes to college and how everybody was like, oh, my God, she's smart. Right. Right. Because she's been sexualized since she was a child. And there's something also, you know, we're talking about representation, but there's also something about our impressions that we put on these people and who they are and how they become these symbols to represent a very narrow ideal of uh, that, whatever we want them to be as we decide them to be as a society, you know. And like. I get that Uh, on a much smaller level, right? Like I am. I am a symbol to a lot of people that has nothing to do with who I am and my personality. I'm just like either this monster that ruined video games or this person who like helmed the way for women in gaming. And and neither of those is me, you know? Right. So like imagine <laughs> on a global scale being uh attached to this symbol that like you can't break out of. Uh, and I think that's also really harmful,
0: you know? ACU, we talked a little bit about to the point of like what happens to machos as they age, and I really haven't cracked the nut of like uh, Tom Cruise and Keanu Reeves being roughly
1: the same age. Yeah, yeah you when yeah. you all
0: called that out, I was like, holy fuck! I don't know why
2: that no, feels weird, so but weird. it feels weird, right?
1: It feels weird, and they both have this kind of like. I don't know, transcendent ability that is, like, a little scary to behold. <laughs> I don't know, but it, it really seems like they kind of, I don't know, escape having to play dads,
0: right? basically. All I can think of with Tom Cruise... And there is a the
1: physicality there, too, I think.
0: He, he's got the, the War of the Worlds. Yeah. And, like, that's like a daddy saves his daughter from the alien invasion, I guess. But, like, yeah. I still, I was like, I can't... What's interesting about all of these, too, is, like, what is fatherhood is, um is like, protecting them from danger or keeping them in mm-hmm. line because children are little, you know, rascals. What we aren't seeing yeah. a lot of except in freaking Dewey Finn uh, in School of Rock.
1: I'm like, is School of Rock kind of, like, the perfect text? But go on. is, like, is nurturing. Yeah.
0: That's not, like, what we're seeing in fatherhood. That's from, that's from others. Totally. But, like, actually not just keeping them in line or protecting them from danger, but actually being like, I am here to help you grow as little people yeah. with hearts. <laughs> you
1: know? Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I, you know, I the sort of soft boys, like I don't know what to say. Like I had at the whole time I was in that episode, I had this feeling that I can't quite articulate about my frustration with soft boys. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: that's how I felt you know, too. Like, you know? It's so weird. And it, and it
2: goes back to this, like I'm going to keep coming back to this, like we assign gendered, we assign certain human traits a gender. And with soft boys, it's like they have to look a certain way, they have to act a certain way, and then they're queer coded.
1: Mm-hmm. Right? And like,
2: and that's it. Or they can only get certain roles or whatever.
1: A lot to ask of a boy.
2: <laughs> yeah. And like... <laughs> You know, I you look at people can change out of that. I think that men uh have more ability to transform their uh public persona. Yeah. So you look at someone like Leonardo DiCaprio who is absolutely mm. a fucking like soft boy, teen boy, oh, you know, like yeah. fully and he is not absolutely. as an adult. Like he didn't he's like grown way the fuck out of that, <laughs> you know? Um yeah. but I think there's something
0: <laughs> the evolution of the pussy posse could be its own <laughs>
2: It's own limited series.
1: An investigative report.
2: But I think that they're, you know, like, why am I more frustrated that soft boys get categorized into the category that they're in than I do about alphas getting categorized into the category they're in? And I think it has to do with the Mm. closeness to femininity, quote unquote, and my personal frustration with patriarchy being like, femininity is bad. um, Mm -hmm. Versus like
0: alphas, it's easier to be like, well, you're the problem clarifying question is it a frustration for both of you because i i almost suspect that you have a different answer to this (laughs) is it a frustration with these characters because of how like i'm i'm frustrated on their behalf that they've been pigeonholed in this way or is it like i'm frustrated by these characters because they get to have all the benefits of being men without the like hardships of being women but respected in a certain way like i feel like those could be two different directions for frustration
1: yeah you know actually i don't know if my frustration is either (laughs) i think it, it might fall closer to the latter but like it is so i find the soft boy category so specific about appearance in a way that there is like less fluidity there to the point where i'm like well this is this becomes exclusionary to in a way that i like where is is there space for like a soft boy like you, your your notes here, Anita. Like fat or larger-bodied people, disabled people, people of color, trans guys who are like kind of inherently infantilized, especially by certain like parts of the queer community. Like, I it just seems so. I don't know. It activates me in a personal way too, or it's just like messy and kind of mm. annoying that it feels particularly exclusionary to to all kinds of men. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, I I I kept thinking of Tom Holland. Yeah, fucking. Mm. I would say Tom Holland's also patron saint of this kind of For podcast sure. in some way that you you brought up the yeah. lip sync,
1: um, the <laughs> yeah, singing <laughs> in the rain
2: umbrella lip sync, which is like one of the best things that's ever been made. And there's something <laughs> uh, to me about Tom Holland that like he can play like. I don't give a fuck about Spider Man. He, I, I will always watch the Spider Man movies because I think there's something so magnetic about how he plays that role, and I just find him so captivating because he's definitely soft boy, but like teetering on the brink a little bit, you know?
0: Because he's also Mm. a macho who dances. Yeah, he was a he was a Billy Elliot before he was Spider Man. Yeah, like Um, extremely talented, but there's something very uh,
2: engaging about him, but. Yeah, there's something you're right. It is very um, it it is so tied to visuals. Right. And like how like can we uh, I don't know. I wrote positive masculinity, positive femininity. I don't fucking know what that note was. It was like after I listened to the episode. But I'm thinking about that. Like uh, how do we like separate out our our ideals around like is this good or bad? Right. And and make that a little more complicated. Um, but you know, also like I would put like Jared Leto and fucking uh Claire Danes from you know, My like he's yeah. Yeah. yeah, like I was thinking about him with teen machos and um yeah, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going. sorry, I feel so like unprepared, but something about soft boys I find really hard to like nail down and like grapple with and, and it it's frustrating to me.
0: Yeah. There is one human individual that we never talked about on this series that it's occurring to me in this episode like how much he's relevant to every co- one of these conversations and that is
1: Wait, can I guess? Please. <laughs> okay. Um Tom let me Hiddleston look at our episodes. No. Nope. Ooh, that's a good guess. I was going to say Timothy Chalamet but he is definitely not all. No. Nope. This Jonathan Taylor Thomas. <laughs> I
0: was thinking about <laughs> him too. He was a cartoon. <laughs> stop you there. It is one six foot five individual, Lee Pace. Lee Pace. Oh, because
1: yeah. Dad,
0: he played a trans woman in Soldiers Girl. Oh, did he? I, um, oh, I forgot about that. He Shame. was a. Uh, he's been cagey to closeted about his sexuality for like a lot of his earlier years of his career. Um, ultimate soft boy in Pushing Daisies, in a yeah. way that like the fact that he could not make physical contact with his love interest, like led to both like a heightened sexuality I think for me as a viewer um but the <laughs> the yearning the yearning the yearning but the also like he was he was so alpha harm- in halton catch fire alpha and halton and catch fire but also like wasn't he a chaotic bisexual um oh he has played like a marvel marvel villain and then like in recent years he's like an insta thought and I- <laughs> 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 you know just like posting feet pics and like,
1: you know He was literally just like kind of a kind of just like a hot, sexy guy in bodies, bodies, bodies last yeah. year. Like he was on set for two days and called. Also, it. I know we
2: are not allowed to speak of this horrible show, but the foundation.
0: I yeah, I was thinking about that.
1: Like oh. I
2: watched
0: like two episodes of it, but it's he plays so bad. like he plays this <laughs> this like alpha Shh. being, right? Like the most he's supposed to be the best specimen or whatever on this. Ugh. Planet <laughs> or space Station yeah I don't know.
2: <laughs> but, you know i I keep thinking about race in relation to this at like ebony's comment, yeah. and just the fact that like most of these characters are not uh people are not men of color, and like you know, what mm-hmm. about someone like stephen Young? like mm-hmm. does where does he mm-hmm. fall into some of this um i I was thinking of um moonlight as well, yes. um like yeah. the um the like sort of really sort of tough. Tough boy character that is like, I have to be this way, but I'm queer and I'm closeted and all this stuff like the 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 different that's a part of the like, m- like marginalized masculinities, right? What does it mean to be adjacent to these roles? Or what about like, um, mm. uh, you know, if you are like a a physically large black man, you're 100% typecast into like the alpha role. But like are you the sidekick alpha or do you get to be your own alpha? Mm. You know, like yeah. if there's like a um not Nick Cage. What's uh, Luke Cage? Um Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. You like, know, like Col- Colton? I'm totally blanking on his name. <laughs> yeah. Um that like uh, and Mike and also Coulter. the the lightning one. There's just all there's like um I watched a few seasons of that. Um, like what? Yeah, and what does that masculinity look like? Do they get to be as? (laughs) Do they get to be as complex as these characters? Not saying that all these characters are complex, you know. Like, what is the limitations (laughs) that are imposed on them, and what can they be? Do they get to be the love interest, like Idris Elba? You know, like has he sort of transcended, in some ways, the the constraints around attractiveness or or like desirability. Um, the Rock is also, which you talked about, um, a quintessential yeah. example of the like, well, he can be whoever the audience wants him to be, and that's why he's so palatable, and like the problems with that, right? The yeah. ethnically, yeah. quote-unquote, ethnically ambiguous characters are people who can be whoever the audience
0: wants them to be, you know? Moonlight mm-hmm. is is such a wonderful capsule of a lot of different types of masculinities. You think um obviously Mahershala Ali like gets a lot of attention mm-hmm. for that father figure that he plays and how complicated that role is. Um and that we get to see masculinity like used as armor for this character and for for the main character. Um and like I rem- I was thinking about that one when going into <sighs> the machos who love machos episode. Mm-hmm. And I think what I wasn't prepared to talk about was how much like that main character shied away from sexuality um, and was afraid of it because Mm -hmm. of his own self-preservation. But like, yeah, if anybody has listened to this (laughs) and hasn't watched Moonlight, please rectify that.
2: Uh, Michael B. Jordan, I think, is a really Mm. interesting example to that, I think, is in many of these categories and that like has been allowed space yeah. too um in terms of what masculinity like a, a more variety of masculinity but still like black man in hollywood you know like mm-hmm. yeah like there's still so many limitations there so um i i don't so this is another one that i'm like i don't have like fully formed thoughts about this but at some point i wrote a note listening to the season writing what i wrote what makes a sexy movie and i was mm. like what did i mean by that mm. and i i was thinking about how like I was thinking about this recently, too, about like what films are sexy, how subjective is that versus not subjective and how much like, you know, you're talking about how like the Marvel movies are just sexless, like yeah. they're not horny yeah. in any way whatsoever. Um, And, you know, w- there's something I'm sure there's lots written about this somewhere, but there's something about the mainstreaming of bodies and sexuality and this very specific type of sexuality um, becoming more accessible, both in music and film and what have you, uh, porn being extremely accessible, that like it's just not Mm -hmm. as exciting anymore. And like Mm. they're not they're like there's not as many creative ways that sexuality is shown. And like Mm. uh, the first movie that came to mind when I was thinking about like a sexy movie was um, Portrait of a Lady on Fire.
1: You know, where
2: you're just like there and that's like extremely sensual and like sweet and caring and whatever. And like, it's not like that's, you know, whatever. Uh, I also rewatched The Secretary recently, which would also probably be in a category. But I also like was really frustrated and kind of pissed off with that movie and its Mm. representation of BDSM Um, because apparently all BDSM in mainstream ish films is all people who have trauma. So you could only right. like yeah. to you're only kinky sexually if you're doing it because you're deeply traumatized and I'm like you all go fuck yourselves, you know? And it's
1: like all 24/7 like Yeah. Right. It's, yeah. Completely, it's yeah, all it's lifestyle
2: crazy. uh and you're just like yeah. that's not well, can we have more kink representation please <laughs> in yeah. our media. Um but we'll
1: say James Spader, who fucks. <laughs> a lot. A lot. Yeah. <laughs>
2: While we have more sexual representation, there is a little more sexual liber, like liberation. It's kind of all the same shit, right? Like it is still fairly like the same types of representation. And where it's you had brought this up of like these 80s movies with all these fucking machos were so subtextually like homoerotic. Like in just like yeah. the friendship, like top gun and fucking point break and um, you know, like they just were just oozing the, this the like throbbing vein yeah. arms
0: in uh in Predator, <laughs> yeah. just Yeah.
2: Yeah, there was something <laughs> to it, and we've like lost that. Like things have been kind of sanitized as yeah. they become more explicit. And um, I don't know, there's something I'm I have no doubt that many an article has been written about this. <laughs>
1: I don't know if this makes sense, but I'm going to say it anyway. When I think of Point Break and Top Gun and like the kind of homoerotic subtext and stuff, it for me when I see those movies I'm like these men are obsessed with each other as men. Like they are obsessed with one another's expressions of masculinity. Like they want to embody kind of the same modes of masculinity or or really are attracted to that about one another, which I love about those movies. I think that's like The most interesting part, like how each man takes an interest in masculinity, both for themselves and for like the other men that they're interacting with. I certainly think that's the case in Point Break. That's crazy.
0: Well, I think Um, this opens up to a very valid criticism Anita has of our discussion of the Fast and Furious franchise, which is obsession. Like, can a man be obsessed with another man and it not be homoerotic, I think, is a question that I do Mm. not have the answer to. Um, because, like, my experience with all of these men is, like, somehow personally homoerotic, like, (laughs) like, (laughs) somehow, in my viewing of, like, The Rock or Jason Statham, like, I am also a man watching it, and, like... Yeah, it's big lesbians
2: obsessed with gay porn energy,
0: you know? Yeah, there's this, like, (laughs) uh, that's
2: That's a thing, if y'all didn't
0: know that. (laughs) uh, But in the, like, in these movies, like, it really, there's so much, like, I don't think in these movies they ever say, like, you're a pussy, but they're, like, saying Mm -hmm. it in a way where it's all they think about is, like, is my dick bigger than yours? And I think that... What we didn't talk about, Anita, I want to give you um, some time, which is to like how much, how like hateful <laughs> all of that language really is.
2: Yeah, mm. you know, like I, uh, I've i watched all of Fast and Furious. I watched some of the movies a few times. Uh, I watched them in chronological order to <laughs> the canon, not, <laughs> not to the release <laughs> dates. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I like cars and I like racing, you know, like it's hard not to get sucked into this. I what would Fast and the Furious look like if it was made with the same kind of energy as a Top Gun or a Point Break, right? It's Mm. just, it's not. It's not Mm -hmm. that. And you have like, you know, you have like Vin Diesel and The Rock like standing there with their arms, like they have to walk with their arms like outside their bodies because their muscles are too big and then they're like aligned next to each other like trying to walk through doorways and shit, you know? (laughs) Um, And it's funny and it's goofy and like, I struggle with talking about Fast and the Furious because it's um, it is the racial component of Fast and the Furious is so important that it is this huge franchise full of people of color um, is is so key and so important. But it is also all of the shit like it's mm-hmm. all, like if I mm-hmm. were to really do a deep dive into this series and do like a fucking textual feminist analysis, I'd be like, this is trash for us. Like this yeah. is not good, right? Um
1: It's like melting pot yeah. vibes. Like it's right. not yeah. like I get it, but it's not good per yeah. se. Like I don't the analogy's and, off, you know. What and I, mean? I think
2: there is it is not trying to make a commentary on race. It's just racialized bodies that exist. Uh, it's not trying to make any social commentary at all. It's supposed. To, I mean, they go to fucking space, you know. Like it is just, it is, it is an absurd, ridiculous. Like you talked about the like punching the fucking vault thing with your bare hand, you know. Like, come on, the save or whatever. Um, and there's something fun and goofy Incredible. about that, right? right? But there is, mm-hmm. um, the the ludicrous and Tyrese, who mm-hmm. are um, like, co- he, like, co- com- like, they're uh, the the. Oh my God, what's they're, the word? They're comedic
0: they're, comic their comedic relief. Their comedic
2: relief and their comedic relief is very sexualized, right? Yeah. It's all about like, mm. I'm a man and I like pussy. You know, like, yeah. did you know? Did you know yeah. that? And there's a racial element to that in the right. way that they talk For about sure. it, right? In the way that they behave in in the way that it's like very stereotypically scripted. So this becomes. I think that there is a level to which we can kind of brush it aside between the car races and the absurdity and whatever. But then you watch Hobbs and Shaw, and it is absolutely impossible to ignore because the entire tension between Hobbs and Shaw is, well, my masculinity is better than your masculinity, and I'm going to tear you down through challenging your masculinity, which is inherently homophobic. And it's yeah. just the way it comes out. And so because yeah. that is their entire existence and their entire relationship to each other, that's the whole fucking movie. There's nothing yeah. else between them. Um, and it's exhausting. Like, it's just truly really exhausting. The only good thing about that movie is the fucking transformer motorcycle. That thing that, like, <laughs> changes oh, and yeah. then folds sideways is <laughs> fucking great. But... um, but yeah, like I, th- I think that that's a real struggle with the with the Fast and the Furious franchise. Like it's just, it's devoid. It's it like it's just a fun romp. But it like is it is that okay? I don't know. You know, it's like John Wick is aesthetically amazing. Like it is, it is such a fun world to be in. The choreography, like. I go back and I just watch scenes so of the cool. choreography that yeah. I like remember and want to wh- you know whatever. But it is like extremely aggressively violent. And the fact that we are seduced by that and that we think that that's like cool is that okay? I don't fucking know. If it's if it's the the dominant thing that we're engaging with and that we're seduced by around masculinity, like that's kind of that becomes a problem, right? So, I don't know. I'm co- I'm conflicted about how we engage with these franchises without saying that they shouldn't
0: exist or that we can't enjoy them, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think that, that we touched a little bit on it with alpha machos, but like when, or Sylvester Stallone, like when the featured actor is also like creatively responsible or, or has a lot of like producerial say, I think that also like skews a lot of these out of like being able to analyze them, like, it makes our uh, it's uh it increases the challenge of trying to like analyze them as media critics because you can't watch top gun maverick without like thinking about tom cruise as a human being you can't really figure out what the fast and the furious could have been if not for vin diesel's involvement behind the scenes um and so much of it is kind of like yeah i bet that there could have been conversations with like so these Brazilian guys always speak Portuguese. Everyone else speaks English, but, like, these guys never learned it. Is that what happened? Like, is that a comment because they're from the favela? Like, these mm. two black men are, like, the only... Like, these two, like, black, not, like, ethnically ambiguous men are the ones who can mm. be, like, I bet I can get her number and you can't, like, very school, you know, schoolyard. Um, but that we can't... That can't happen because it's, like... It just exists in like this has been diesel's world and we're just yeah. living in it.
2: And I wanna believe that uh, there is a world where you can make a fucking ridiculous, goofy, absurd franchise like Fast and the Furious and just not have that shit in it. Right. You know, Jeez. like I wanna believe that it's not it's not the cost of having something so insane, you know?
0: Debs. <laughs> <laughs> oh man i guess i think there was only uh you know one more thing which is you know i feel like you've all been um accompanying me on my female mental breakdown (laughs) which has been recorded every (laughs) episode um but we talked about machos on the verge and i think this like similarly to straight actors playing queer, like this is just such a gendered thing where it's like every one of these violent men is like, has like pathological mental health crisis that we're witnessing unfold. And we're just like, wow, what a hero. Whereas like, you know, that's just not a grace that we give to female characters. Um, but yeah, like that was interesting. Even thinking about what did, what did, what were we going to talk about for machos on the verge of a nervous breakdown? Because like you could pathologize every single one of these like action movies and say,
1: Oh,
0: 100%. Here's like, the trauma that we need to unpack.
1: You're suffering from a terminal case of being gay. <laughs> yeah. Every movie we watched.
0: Like, yeah, and it's
2: incurable. The, of the show. <laughs> uh, yeah, I watched Old Boy for the first time uh, like a couple months ago because, like, it's such a okay. everyone fucking talks about this movie, and I was like, I guess I'll watch it. And I was like, What the fuck? You know, like it's like really, it's extremely intense. Um, it's hard and like I don't know I think I struggle sometimes with like there's a certain degree of like can I appreciate what everyone else appreciates about this while I'm fucking losing my mind watching this thing you know yeah Um, Yeah. where it's like it's hard to watch Um, and you know I think because at this point in film like our film history uh, the twists and turns are not as exciting because we've seen it a bunch of times since then, right? It's like, when you go back to the origin, it's Mm -hmm. a different story, but because we've seen the same fucking trope a million times. So like the big twist at the end, you're just like, oh, like, you're like, oh, this is gross. And like, and like- still effective. Yeah, and I was like, it was effective, but I also was like, but also why, you know? Like, I was like, is this not appropriate? But I was like, oh, why are you doing this, right? Which right. yeah. might have to do with because we've seen more things kind of do that. But it might also just be like, I'm a little bit tired of the w- way women are treated in film, you know, yeah. like. It,
1: and I do feel like in that instance, it, like it's, it's I mean, shock I'm a big value fan of that director. Sorry. Yes, it's it really is just like, that's kind of. Yeah, it's like, is there? are you making? A, OK,
2: great. This we got here. Are you making a point? Like do you have yeah. something to say or do you just want to shock us? And when I feel like you're just trying <laughs> just to like shock further us, torture. I get frustrated. And I'm not saying that this movie is mm-hmm. doing one or the other. I don't really uh I don't think I can speak to that, but it I I I think that that's when I get frustrated of like what is your fucking mm-hmm. point, you know? Um so yeah. in the Brooke Shields documentary, the director of Pretty Baby um refuses to talk about I, and I've only seen the press that is included in the documentary. I have watched Pretty Baby, which is extremely hard to watch, mm. um, and uh, it's about a, a child um, sex worker, an underage child mm. sex worker, um, and it shows child nudity. Like it's very explicit in what it's doing, and they're like it's art wow. and it's tasteful and da da da. And I'm like, okay, but it's still fucking hard to watch, you know? And the yeah. the director refuses to be like, I made the movie. I don't need to comment on the movie as well. You can mm. see what I did. Yeah. Um, And so there's a little bit of like, well, yes, let the audience take what they want to take. And like, we can all analyze things and take what we need from them at different points in our life. But there's also a little bit of like, yeah. And this is also really fucking intense and maybe give us a little bit of insight <laughs> into yeah. like your purpose yeah. or like, does the film like the ambiguity of the film? I don't know. I don't think lends itself to uh, value plus in society. You know, if you're not actually yeah. like making a fucking point,
1: for sure. So, I feel I that know.
2: that's my high horse.
0: It's interesting to ask that question of a lot of these topics, um, which is like, are you doing this for shock value versus like, are you doing this because it makes the movie better or like advances the story? Doesn't have to advance the story, but I think like, for example, like a great sex scene doesn't have to advance the story but it can advance how we understand the characters or like it can be an yeah. aesthetic um benefit or bonus to the movie but like that question i think i think we've probably all seen in movies with sex scenes that just was like this is just gratuitous like it's not
1: top gun <laughs> 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 quote unquote sex scene by the way but like yeah no truly that's like it's like okay right? and like <laughs> thanks you know
0: when vin diesel like catches a car flying through the air it's like, oh, are you trying to shock me? Like, it worked because that was awesome. I guess, <laughs> you know. Like, but I think you could ask that about like violence. You could ask that about sex. You could ask that about like twisted. You know, like from the twisted mind of Park Chan Wook. Like, you know, it's um, I think it's almost like that pornography question. Like, you know it when you see it. Um, of mm-hmm. like there are, so like the the handmaiden, is that is that the same mm-hmm. filmmaker? Yep. Like, I thought some of the sex scenes in that were unnecessary, but that they mm-hmm. were the point of the movie. And yeah. so,
1: I think do you so, know so what too. I, mean? I could talk about that movie. Like, yeah, for sure. I was like, he's, he's wacky with it. Yeah, you know? it was like,
0: you're getting wacky with this.
2: <laughs> okay, I don't know why this particular conversation made me think of this, but Jeff Goldblum. Mm.
0: Ex- ex-
2: go on. <laughs> so, okay, so I, okay, this is such a fucking leap. I was thinking about how, like, you, you're talking about character development and how you can use certain things for character development and how I find the movies that are just plot kind of boring. But it's also why the Fast and the Furious and John Wick and those movies, are all plot. Right. But like very yeah. loosely held yep. together plot with like scenes, you know? Yeah. Um, so then I went to the fly I, and Cronenberg. I don't, I don't know. Don't know why. But I feel like Cronenberg, well, Cronenberg. Like, has a point in his films, you know in a way yeah, like they they are shocking but there's a fucking point that he's he's like it's clear that he's trying to get this across whether you agree don't agree yes. whatever and i i value that uh i value that a lot and so then i just went to the fly yeah. and then i was like oh jeff goldblum he's someone who is like in pop culture for years he he himself is fucking weird like his masculinity is a, a a little more complex i think in relation to how you're breaking down machos um anyways i don't think we need to waste time with it it just came up because i was thinking of cronenberg
1: well i will say i love cronenberg i feel that's that makes a ton of sense to me and i do feel that way about again james spader and crash you know what i mean like he's a fucking weirdo and there's so much gratuitous sex and violence in that but that is it's making such a point about sex in the body and whatever yeah
2: i have um, something to fucking
0: say yeah you know? i find
1: james spader hard to categorize Anita, too. weird please
0: write a book about canadian sexuality
1: <laughs> oh my fuck? god
0: <laughs> i feel like there is something about cronenberg and like there's something
1: and his son okay, also, oh my god think...
0: don't even get that movie
2: <laughs> dude just go to therapy man <laughs> <laughs> That How movie was fully. These- that movie was fully like I've got daddy issues and need to go
0: to therapy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How many of these yeah. movies could have been avoided by? Yeah. Some- <laughs> That's <laughs> <laughs> the meme. It's like men will literally make a whole last movie instead of going to therapy. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, that would exactly. be a great podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
1: mm, I love that.
0: <laughs> Perhaps a future season of feminist frequency. Yeah. Right?
1: yeah.
0: Oh. <laughs> um, I think that this has been like. This has been so much fun because obviously, like, especially since the format of this season was just AC and I kind of like sharing with each other, we we chose to kind of each bring something to, e- to the episode that like maybe the other had watched. But um, I think having this conversation about like... Well, my perspective is going to evolve on like all of these. Like there are so many of these where it's like the way I felt about it when I was, you know, it's it's impossible to like divorce Dirty Dancing from like the person I was when I was 10 years old and watching that movie possibly for the first time out of a zillion. Um, but like how it just changes as we change and as like society changes. And when you start to watch something and think like, Wow, can you believe? Am I ever gonna watch this and think, can you believe it used to be like that? <laughs> it's like, who <laughs> knows? But um, but I'm so glad that we that we got to yeah, go back I, and look at all, all with you.
2: It makes me think of um Walter Chaw's point around like movies biologically imprint on us.
0: Mm. Um,
2: and how over time we change, so our ways that we engage with films change and uh things will hit us in different ways. Um It's a plot of existence. (laughs) 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 Fuck. And I think that that's really important to remember as we're going through. Like I was a huge Buffy fan and I watched that show a million times. And there one of my viewings years later, there was an entire plot point that I saw completely differently because I was at a different point in my life. And I was like, holy fuck it wasn't this it was this this whole time you know and it, i don't know angel uh neither it was um Fucking. what's his face the military guy it mm. was when it was it was the scene at, i think the end of season four where buffy leaves him and uh xander gives her this huge fucking uh lecture about her behavior and all this stuff and like I read it one way, and then, like, years later, I read it a completely different way, like, completely different. And I think that's valuable to hold on to, especially at, like, as people who speak about media publicly, like, our impressions change and our takes on things change. And, like, we, based on our experiences in our lives and the people that we talk to and engage with, right, like, Having a podcast with Ebony and Carolyn for years like really changed um, and, and the way that I think about stuff. And Kat, when you came on, you brought a whole new perspective that makes me think about things differently. Like last night, Kat sent me this long voice memo that was <laughs> so fucking smart. And I was like, wow, yeah. You know, I was like, yeah, yeah. I didn't think I about that. that. That's great. You know, and I, val- I value that. Yeah. And I also want to hold grace for all of us as we also change and grow
0: in terms of how we look at things, you know? You're going to text me about Pretty Baby I'm, while I'm driving, then I'm going to do a voice memo. <laughs> and I loved it. Yeah. That has been our bonus episode for this season of macho is fully loaded thank you listeners for joining us on this uh journey through testosterone
1: <laughs> <laughs> wow the ac lambert wait, story. Wait, wait. speaking up that's me
2: <laughs> i didn't ever get to do a strap in and strap on ah. did, I do it ba- did i do it backwards no you got it oh perfect. that was it yes. no
1: <laughs> i loved it. it that was the best nailed part of it. every episode
2: I mean, it wasn't. That's so mean. That sounds so awful. No, I enjoy. I enjoyed no, it. We'll take it. I was
0: worried we were going to we get like a, a cease and desist. Like, please stop using <laughs> feminist frequency radio to say "strap in" and "strap on." It's just, it's our hey, new your tagline. Your like
1: aren't funny. <laughs> when
0: you said "strap in" and "strap on." Your your d- tap shoes. Oh, that, <laughs> that got was so me. good. It got me. <laughs>
1: Damn. Well, I have been AC <laughs> Lamberty. You can follow me on Instagram and Letterboxd at AC Lamberty. Um, and check out that final Letterbox macho syllabus, baby.
0: Um, I'm Kat Spada. I guess I'm going to do some plugs since this is the wrap up on this season. Uh, I'm on Twitter at cat underscore EX underscore Machina. And I have a, uh, a sort of hi- in hibernation podcast about Beverly Hills 90210, which... If you like that show or the 90s, um, it definitely is an expiration of like something I watched when I was six and then watched (laughs) again when I was 16 and then watched again when I was 26 and like going through it and having very different relationships to the characters. Um, And I'm behind the scenes on a new podcast that's coming out this month called Remember the Memories. It is a clone high podcast because that season, that show is coming back to hbo max so that show will be coming up soon and uh follow feminist frequency on social media at femfreak. freak anita thank you so much for coming and being <laughs> amazing today what what, what do you want to tell people
2: i don't know i'm so excited to be back i missed you all so much i loved listening to this podcast so thank you so much for doing it um y'all can follow me on my social medias uh it's at anita sarkeesian on twitter and instagram uh we are in the middle of a campaign which i'm sure you heard as you were listening to this episode so if you want to help support feminist frequency and the games hotline and all the work we do please pitch in a couple of dollars other than that stay tuned for whatever the fuck we do next
1: Um, if you like the show, help other people find it by subscribing, rating, and commenting on your fave podcast app.
2: Thanks. Thanks so much, much for listening. listening.
0: <laughs> Woo! Bye.
2: Bye. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, we did it. <laughs>